Hello, friends, and welcome to Into the Word, a radio and online program committed to reading, loving, and living the whole counsel of God. I'm your host and Bible guide, Pastor Paul Carter. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. If you have your Bible with you, I'd love for you to open it now to Psalm 91. These are extraordinary days. The COVID-19 pandemic has swept around the world and thrown a great many people into panic. How should God's people respond? Or even more immediately, how should God's people feel? How should we think? We need to lead ourselves before we attempt to be salt and light in the culture. God's people always lead out of quiet. Moses went into the tent of meeting to speak with God and then went out to lead the people. We need to do the same thing. We need to stop, slow down, take a break from the news, and go into the tent of meeting. We need to hear from the Lord before we go back out into the world. And of course, if we're going to do that, then there is no better place for us to start than in Psalm 91. Derek Kidner said about the psalm, This is a psalm for danger, for times of exposure and encirclement, or of challenging the power of evil, closed quote. So this is the perfect psalm for us to be looking at today. Martin Luther loved this psalm. He said, this is the most distinguished jewel among all the psalms of consolation, closed quote. So if you're struggling with fear today, as I imagine many of us are, then you need to hear this psalm. So let's begin reading it together. We'll take a little longer today so that we can go a little deeper and press in a little further. Hear now the word of the Lord beginning at verse 1. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God, in whom I trust. The outline for Psalm 91 is reasonably straightforward. In the first two verses, the psalmist speaks of his own faith. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God, in whom I trust. Then in verses 3 to 13, the psalmist turns to the listener and applies the truths he has just confessed to us. The you in verse 3 is singular, and it is throughout this middle section. The psalmist is saying, if you believe what I believe, if you are taking refuge in God as I have done, then you will experience these protections also. Then in the final section of the psalm, in verses 14 to 16, the psalmist prophetically presents us with the pledge of Almighty God. The I in those verses is God. God promises to deliver. God promises to be present. God promises to honor all those who take refuge in him. So the Tyndale Old Testament commentary, for example, provides a very simple outline. Section one, my refuge. Section two, your refuge. Section three, God's pledge. I think that makes sense. So let's hear again the confession of the psalmist. Look at verses 1 and 2 again. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God, in whom I trust. Notice the four metaphors and the four names for God. He calls God a shelter, a shadow, a refuge, and a fortress. Each of those metaphors is interesting. Uh, 
Now, we aren't sure exactly who wrote this psalm. It comes right after Psalm 90, which was written by Moses, and it uses a lot of the same language as Psalm 90. So some people think that this psalm also was written by Moses, and that argument makes a lot of sense to me, particularly after having just worked my way through the book of Exodus in this podcast. Moses, more than anyone in the Old Testament, knew what it was to dwell in the shelter and shadow of the Almighty. The tabernacle tent was a shelter and a shadow. Do you remember the four layers of curtain and covering that were hung over the outer frame of the tabernacle? We talked about those things in the episode for chapter 26. I described these various coverings and said, the net result of this multi-layer covering is that the inside of the tent would have been very dark, very quiet, and noticeably cooler than the outside world. That's where Moses spent a great deal of his time while Israel was wandering in the desert. And one cannot help but wonder whether or not Moses wrote or composed this psalm while communing with the Lord inside this shelter. Moses went into that dark place where it was noticeably quieter and cooler than the outside world. In that place, he knew the Lord. He encountered the power and the majesty of Yahweh, and he knew that as long as God's people were in right relationship with this God, they would be fine. What harm could befall them? What dangers could penetrate this shield? The Lord is my refuge and fortress. Thanks be to God. He uses four different names for God. He refers to him as the Most High, Elyon. In Hebrew, he refers to him as the Almighty, El Shaddai. He calls him Yahweh and Elohim. And I think the point for us ought to be this. The better you know God, the more likely you are to trust him in troubled times. Let me turn that around and say it another way. The less you know God, or the less you know the real God, the God of the Bible, the more likely it is that you are panicking and responding poorly to this present crisis. So come inside. That's what Moses is saying here, or at least that's what the psalmist is saying here, whoever that may be. He is saying, come inside and know the Lord. Make him your refuge and your fortress. Take shelter in him and rest in the shadow of his majestic and benevolent care. In the next section, the psalmist spells out for us now some of the implications and extensions of the truths he has just declared. We jump back into the text at verse 3. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. W.S. Plumer says here, By the snare of the fowler, we may understand any mischief plotted by Satan or his servants. Closed quote. People who are in right relationship with God need fear no plot or scheme of the devil, and neither ought they to panic at the approach of plague and pestilence. I love how the old King James Version translates verse 3. It says, Surely he will deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence. That's a good word, isn't it? Noisome Now, while there are many good words to describe the COVID-19 pandemic, few are more apt than this word. This is a noisome pandemic. Now, that is not to say that it is not deadly. It is. People are dying. 
But because of our present media reality and the ubiquity of all information about this virus, accurate and otherwise, and because of our psychological fragility at this time, whatever else it is, it is noisome. It is everywhere and alarming. But the psalmist is saying, it need not be so for the people of God. We don't need to fear the schemes of the devil or the viruses and pestilences that threaten our physical well-being. If we are in God through faith in Christ, what can these things do to us? The Apostle Paul asks that very question in Romans 8. He says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you are inside the fortress of God's love, my friend, you are safe. We jump back into the text at verse 4. He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. I love what Matthew Henry says here. He says, God is willing to guard his people as the hen is to guard the chickens, and as able as a man of war in armor, closed quote. That is a splendid blending of metaphors. If God were only like the mother chicken, I would be nervous. A mother chicken may want to protect her chicks, but as all of us chicken nugget eaters know, she is not always able to do so. But if a mother chicken were also like a man of war in armor, then we'd all have to adopt a plant-based diet. That's what the psalmist is saying here. Yahweh is the best of all protectors. He has the concern of the mother chicken and the strength of the man of war. Thanks be to God. We jump back into the text at verse 5. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. Now, again, I can't read that without thinking of the Exodus. Moses knew what it was to take shelter under the blood of the Lamb and to be kept safe from the pestilence that stalks in darkness. It did not touch him, nor anyone in his house. He saw it, but he did not fear it. And the same can be true for you, believer, for anyone who takes shelter under the blood of the Lamb. Matthew Henry says here, a believer needs not fear and therefore should not fear any arrow because the point is off. The poison is out. Oh, death, where is thy sting? Closed quote. You will not fear the terror of the night nor the arrow that flies by day. Verse 7. A thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Now, 
If this psalm was written by Moses, then it is easy to read this in its covenantal context. Moses said this sort of thing all the time. He had the people of Israel stand on two mountains on opposite sides of a valley to try and communicate to them that there were two paths open before them, a path that led to life and a path that led to death. He said in Deuteronomy 28, If you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments that I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Blessed shall you be in the city, and blessed shall you be in the field. Blessed shall be the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground and the fruit of your cattle, the increase of your herds, the young of your flock. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall you be when you come in, and blessed shall you be when you go out. So, obey the Lord, he says. Walk in his ways and enjoy all these blessings. That's the road. That's the way. Walk ye in it. But then he talked about the other way. He said, verses 58 to 61, If you are not careful to do all the words of this law that are written in this book, that you may fear this glorious and awesome name, the Lord your God, then... The Lord will bring on you and your offspring extraordinary afflictions, afflictions severe and lasting, and sicknesses grievous and lasting. And he will bring upon you again all the diseases of Egypt, of which you were afraid, and they shall cling to you. Every sickness also, and every affliction that is not recorded in the book of this law, the Lord will bring upon you until you are destroyed. So verses 7 to 8 of Psalm 91 are just a poetic expression of same. If you truly and entirely abide in God, then you will be only and exclusively blessed. But of course, no one has ever truly and entirely abided in God except Jesus. W.S. Plumer makes careful note of that in his commentary on these verses in Psalm 91. He says, The promise is of an absolute exemption from all that could endanger life. This was true of none but Jesus. But he goes on to say, Yet God exercises a kind and special providence over his people. So this is perfectly true of Jesus and providentially true of all those who put their trust in Jesus. Remember, all the promises of God are now yes and amen in Christ. That's in 2 Corinthians 1.20. Paul goes on to say, That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee, closed quote. So this was immediately and entirely true of Jesus in his earthly life. It was impossible that he should die of some plague. It was impossible that he should be crushed by some accidentally falling tower. No, he was perfectly and entirely safe within the fortress of God's love and protection because he was perfect and entire in his obedience to God's commands. And if we are in God through faith in Christ, these protections are available also to us in an immediate sense, a progressive sense, and an ultimate sense. Immediately in terms of God's precise and attentive providence. Progressively 
in the sense that we are taught by the Holy Spirit to increasingly walk in obedience and love. And ultimately, in the sense that one day we will stand and see the recompense of the wicked. Revelation 20, verse 6 says, Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. So, if you die in Christ, you will rise in Christ, and blessed and holy are all those who share in this resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power. You will only watch and look upon the recompense of the wicked. Revelation talks about that too. Revelation 21, 7 to 8 says, The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death, closed quote. We jump back into Psalm 91 at verse 9. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you, no plague come near your tent. Some versions translate the first word in verse 9 as if. So, for example, the NIV has it, if you say, the Lord is my refuge, and you make the Most High your dwelling, no harm will overtake you, no disaster will come near your tent. Either way, the verse is clearly conditional. If you are in God through Christ, no evil shall befall you. Because you are in God through Christ, no evil shall befall you. No plague come near your tent. In our particular circumstances, of course, we want to know exactly what that means. Matthew Henry says usefully here, Though trouble or affliction befall thee, Yet there shall be no real evil in it, for it shall come from the love of God and shall be sanctified. It shall come not for thy hurt, but for thy good. And though for the present it be not joyous, but grievous, yet in the end it shall yield so well that thou thyself shalt own no evil befell thee. Closed quote. Are you hearing that, brothers and sisters? I, I realize that Matthew Henry can be a little difficult to understand. He speaks in King James Version. But what he's saying there is absolutely marvelous. He, he's saying, though trouble or affliction befall thee, meaning it's true that bad things do happen to good people. Bad things happen to Christians too. Yet there shall be no real evil in it, for it shall come from the love of God and shall be sanctified. That is to say, you can trust that if you're in God, then these troubles are actually from God. They're actually an expression of his love, meant to chastise or refine or purify. They shall be sanctified. That is, they shall serve holy purposes. And then he says, you know, it's going to work out this way. Not for your hurt, but for your good. And, and even though in the present, they, they might be difficult, not joyous, but grievous. Yet in the end, it shall yield so well. This is going to work out so well that you yourself shall admit that no real evil befell thee. That's a marvelous promise. Verse 11. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. W.S. Plumer says marvelously here, 
It is a blessed fact revealed in Scripture that angels and men constitute through Christ one family. Closed quote. Matthew Henry goes even further than that. He says this, He who is the Lord of the angels, who gave them their being and gives laws to them, whose they are and whom they were made to serve, he shall give his angels a charge over thee, not only over the church in general, but over every particular believer. Closed quote. Christians have traditionally believed in the concept of guardian angels. Now, perhaps that doctrine seemed silly to you or superfluous to you in our modern society, but now, all of a sudden, it likely seems precious to many of us. Now, notice that these angels are charged with guarding us in all our ways. That is, in the ways that we've been commanded to walk in. When you walk where you are supposed to walk, you are protected. But when you depart, when you leave the path, when you go your own way, you walk alone. Again, this is very Moses-y, even if it wasn't written by Moses. It was certainly written by somebody who read Moses. The whole Bible is based on the logic of these two roads. Obey God and be blessed. Blessed in a time of danger. Blessed in a time of abundance. Blessed by God. Disobey God. Leave the path, though, and you walk alone. That's the Bible in a nutshell, friends. Old Testament and New. Now, of course, we can't leave this section of the psalm without thinking about the fact that the devil actually quotes these verses to Jesus during the temptation in the desert recorded in Matthew 4. He knew these promises applied principally and particularly to Christ, and therefore he tempted Jesus to put these promises to the test. Jump off this high pinnacle, Jesus, and let's see the angels of heaven dispatched to your immediate need. But Jesus wisely and perfectly replied, It is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Brothers and sisters, let's stop and hear that. Jesus certainly did not lack for faith, but neither did he do reckless and stupid things. I've heard a few people saying, foolishly, that practicing social distancing demonstrates a lack of faith. No, it does not. Social distancing in this instance represents neighborly care and compassion. I'm in my mid-40s, so I'm not worried about contracting the coronavirus, but I am worried about passing it on to the 80-year-old lady who lives across the street from me. So I'm going to take appropriate precautions. I'm certainly not going to take foolish risks on the assumption that I've got angels watching over me who will take care of that. No, that is testing God. I wear my seatbelt, I obey the traffic lights almost all the time, and I follow the health and safety recommendations of my government because I am wise and because the Bible in Romans 13 tells me to obey the authorities that have been instituted by God over me. See, that's my lane. That's where I was commanded to walk. And the angels will protect me when I'm walking in that way. But when I step out of that way, when I rebel, when I go my own way, I'm testing God. Willem Van Gemmerens is helpfully here. In life, the Lord may permit many terrible things to happen to his children, as he did to his own son, our Lord. But his children know that no power is out of God's control. They trust their heavenly Father while they act responsibly. 
Hence, they do not test the Lord to see to what extent he will deliver them from trouble. Closed quote. So we want to trust God, but we don't want to test God. The people who are trusting God are under angelic care, and they are walking confidently through enemy territory as a result. We see that in verse 13. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Most of the commentators remind us here that this sort of symbolic language is used throughout the Bible to refer to spiritual adversaries. W.S. Plumer, for example, says, Often in Scripture are spiritual adversaries compared to fierce and venomous creatures. Closed quote. So the people who are trusting are walking through a world that is filled with defeated adversaries. And this is, of course, exactly what Martin Luther was talking about in his great hymn, Ah, Mighty Fortress is Our God. Verse 3 of that great hymn says, And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. That is the encouragement that is given by the psalmist to all those who are trusting in God. In verses 14 to 16, we have God's confirming oracle, God's pledge, as some of the commentaries have it. Verse 14, because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Martin Luther says here, By the cluster of promises at the end of the psalm, the Holy Spirit quickens and refreshes our hearts with consolation. And indeed, that is true. Do you know the Lord? Have you taken refuge in him through faith in Jesus Christ? then he will deliver you. He will protect you. You will call out to him during this time of distress and he will answer you. He will be with you in your trouble. He will rescue you and honor you. He will give you long life and show you his salvation. All the commentators are on the same page as to the meaning of these last two promises in verse 16. Matthew Henry says here, they shall live long enough they shall be continued in this world till they have done the work they were sent into this world for and are ready for heaven. And that is long enough. Who would wish to live a day longer than God has some work to do, either by him or upon him? They shall think it long enough, for God, by his grace, shall wean them from the world and make them willing to leave it. Closed quote. John Calvin has a similar view. He says, The salvation of God extends far beyond the narrow boundary of earthly existence. And it is to this, whether we live or come to die, that we should principally look. Closed quote. My dear friends, if you are in God through faith in Jesus Christ, you will live precisely the life you were created to live. You will do precisely the work that God has ordained for you to do. You will undergo precisely the chastisements and refinements that 
God has willed for you, and then you will die, COVID-19 or not. When you have lived the life God planned for you, you will die, and you will see the Lord and be gloriously changed, and you will understand in that moment that you have lost nothing. You will think your life to have been long enough, and you will be ready to leave this world behind and to claim your eternal reward. Thanks be to God. And thank you for listening to this special episode of Into the Word. If you'd like to go even deeper on the psalm, I will be preaching on Psalm 91 this Sunday, March 29th, 2020. Of course, given our current situation, the service will only be available online. If you'd like to watch, you can find our service at www.cornerstoneaurelia.org. And if you're looking for some extra Christian community at this time, I would just encourage you to find our Facebook page. Just type into the search bar, Into the Word. Sit tight, my friends. This too shall pass. And I'll see you again real soon, right here, for another episode of Into the Word. <laughs>